0: You know, this fall we uh, were focusing on the Word of God. Um, the first eight weeks in September, October, into November it was the written word. We focused on the written word of God, and these final weeks, the last eight weeks, are focusing on um, the the living word, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, the living word, Jesus Himself, and focusing on some passages that uh, uh, the living word spoke and impacted people's lives. And the passage this morning that I want us to consider is in John chapter 9. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 9 as we considered a very um, poignant uh, phrase and, and, and statement that Jesus made Uh, here in this ninth chapter of John's Gospel. Before we do, though, let's ask him for his guidance and his leading, shall we? Let's bow our head. Father, thank you for the privilege we have now to open up your word and the privilege that we have to come boldly in your presence and to request of you understanding and clarity and, and then transformation. Um, Lord, we have many opportunities in the week to be conformed to the world's way of thinking. I pray that in this hour, in this time together, we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds as you open up your Word and reverence it as it is, the Word of God. And we trust that your Spirit would lead us and Teach us and give us understanding and um, and 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 do a work of grace, Father, as we consider what the living Word has shared with us. Thank you, Father, for what you'll do, and we entrust this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. John uh, chapter nine, verse thirty-nine is this statement that I find rather intriguing. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. For judgment I came into this world. Now, interestingly, earlier in John's Gospel, in chapter 3, verse 17, this is what it said. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Um, interesting, this verse, Jesus came to save. Jesus said in the other verse, it was for judgment I came. What in the world is going on here? What did Jesus mean when he said, I came into this world for judgment? Well, let's get a, a flow, an understanding of the, the, the context and the, the flow of this particular story that I think is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. To me, it's one of my favorite stories here in John chapter 9. Pick up the context. Look at verse 59 of the previous chapter, chapter 8. We'll start there when it says, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Obviously, there's some tension going on here in Jerusalem. The religious leaders... They are looking for ways to get rid of Jesus, even to a point of picking up stones to kill him. There's high tension happening. Now, chapter 9, verse 1 As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? So they leave the temple amidst this tension of what's happening. And they walk past this man who'd probably been there for many, many years, a man who specifically is said was born blind, and the disciples raise a very interesting, intriguing, deep theological issue. Who sinned? His parents? After all, the book of the law, Exodus chapter 20, said the sins of the father are passed on to the third and fourth generation. Did his parents sin or did he sin that he would be born blind? Now, isn't that interesting? How can you sin and be born blind? Of course, in that time, there was a big theological debate that would rage among some of the rabbis that uh, some taught that um, the soul of a person had preexisted and would come into life in a reincarnated state. So in some preexistent state, that person had sinned. That was a belief that a few of the rabbis had taught. Other rabbis had taught that um, a baby in the womb could sin and then be born with the consequences of sin that the baby had committed in the womb. These were theological debates that had been stirring up among the Jewish rabbis. And you can see them in their their, uh, fancy robes and in their you know, kind of smoke-filled rooms of theological higher learning debating these things. And the disciples, as they're walking past, they see this poor soul, and they just happen to, you know, it might have been something they'd have been pondering and wondering or debating among themselves. Just one of those those theological questions. Who sinned? His parents or this man that he was born blind? And Jesus' response was It was neither. Neither that this man sinned nor his parents. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus said, I must work or we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is today. For night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, saw this man's condition not as something to be debated. He saw this man's condition as something that could give God glory, that was designed to give God glory, something to be acted upon. And when Jesus says, you know, it's, this is day, the night is coming, but while I am in the world, and I think the implication is, as long as I'm here, it's day, I'm the light of the world. I'm going to be leaving one day, anticipating his death, well, while I'm here, I'm going to work the work of God. No, it wasn't this parents that sinned. It wasn't this man that has sinned. This is so that God will be glorified, and I can do the work as the light of the world. Now, this guy is a obviously some passive bystander. I mean, all this is being done as he's sitting there, and, uh, you know, he's can't see but he hears this conversation going on. they're discussing himself, he's the object of their discussion who sinned this man or you know they're having this discussion in verse six it says, when he had said this, then Jesus spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and all of a sudden the man is brought into this this whole scene probably shockingly he hears a pfft, and then Jesus is making a, a clay, and all of a sudden, the blind man fills this on his eyes, and you know, all of a sudden, he's brought into this thing, as Jesus applies the clay to his eyes, and then Jesus now talks with him, and he says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. John adds that little parenthetical statement, the pool that is called sent, and so he went away and washed and came back. And he came back seen. Jesus didn't go with him. He sent him. Just like it says in verse 4, I was sent, Jesus said. Now he sends this man. And this man does what Jesus says and he's healed. He comes back seen. Now verse 8. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, yep, th- this is he. Yet others were saying, no, no, it looks like him. And he kept saying, no, it's really me. I mean, you can imagine the shock of the people. This guy had been kind of a permanent fixture on that probably s- same spot. He'd, he'd, he'd drag his sorry carcass with his smelly, stinking rags for clothes. He'd drag himself out of some little hole in the alley, and, and there he'd park himself Day after day, month after month, year after year. He was a permanent fixture, like some like some light post just standing there. And now all of a sudden, everything's changed. Wait, wait a minute. Was, wasn't this the guy? Yeah, <laughs> smells like him, looks like him. No, it can't be him. And he's saying, It's me. It is me. It really is me. And so verse 10, they're saying to him, Well, how this happen? How'd your eyes get open? And he answered and said, The man who was called Jesus, like, I don't know who he is. There's no personal interaction. I mean, this was a scene where this guy didn't know who Jesus was, like, say, a blind man named Bartimaeus, who said, Son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't know who he was. This man. He was just sitting there like he always sat there year after year after year. And he, he felt this, these hands on his eyes and this command to go wash. And this man called Jesus did this. And so he recounts this story. He made clay. He anointed my eyes. And he said, go to the Siloam and, and, and wash. He had no knowledge of who Jesus was. And so I went away. And I washed and <laughs> I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? I said, I don't know. This seemed to be like a chance encounter. He was just passing by. This whole thing happened. He told me to go wash. I didn't. I don't know, what is it? Maybe a quarter of a mile from the temple to the pool. And by the time he got back, Jesus is not there. I don't know where he is. But something had to happen. Something needed to be done. This was obviously something that was bizarre. It was uh, paranormal. I mean, it was out of the realm of whatever possibility. Something had to be done. Well, we, we should go to the religious officials. We need, to, we, we need to talk with somebody who's in charge about this thing. This is obviously something miraculous. It's something that is out of the normal. And so verse 13, they brought him to the Pharisees, this man who was formerly blind. And It almost implies this word, they brought him a bit a bit of a forceful persuasion. I mean, he has nothing to do with the temple. Nothing to do with these religious leaders. They hadn't done anything to him. He'd been sitting there blind for who knows how long. They hadn't paid any attention to him. He's never had anything to do with the temple, with the religious ceremonies. But they pick him up, as it were, and they bring him to Jesus, or bring him to the Pharisees. We've got to deal with this thing. Now John adds in verse 14 this very important and significant fact. It was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. (laughs) John, as he writes this, kind of builds with a certain amount of tension or anticipation, and now he lowers the boom and says, this happened on a Sabbath. Now why is that important? Because the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, in an attempt over the years to maintain um, purity of the law, the law that said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Over the years, they had constructed these man-made rules. What, what does keeping the Sabbath holy look like? They were trying to inform the people. They were trying to hedge in the, the, the law, kind of the, the people, so that they could follow the law carefully. It's kind of a nebulous statement. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Well, what does that look like? And so the Pharisees had constructed these laws. And some of the laws stated things like you can't make bricks. You can't do stuff with clay on the Sabbath. That was against the Sabbath. You can't actually heal on the Sabbath. You had to rest. You could do nothing. You had to remember to keep it holy. But on this day, amidst all the tension, just maybe a short time before these Pharisaical leaders were picking up stones to to kill Jesus, it's as if Jesus, I don't know, it's just something about Jesus. It's it's like he's poking his finger in their eye because he, he, he does this on the Sabbath. He breaks their rules on the Sabbath. He, the light of the world, he who was sent to do his work to bring glory to God. And so the Pharisees in verse 15, they were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said, look, I apply, he applied clay to my eyes, I watch, I see. I don't know if it's ever happened to you where you've got some experience that took place. And everybody's coming up to you and say, "Hey, I heard you I heard this happen to you." So you, you tell the story, and you're you know the first few times you're telling it, and it's all the details, and finally, you know, by the tenth time, someone comes up, "Hey, I heard you." You know, you just kind of cut to the chase. Yeah, he applied uh, clay to my eyes. Uh, you know, I went and washed, and I see a truncated form. And the Pharisees, verse 16, were saying, "This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath." But others were saying. How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a a division among them. How can a man who is a sinner do so many signs? It's plural. They've been debating about Jesus for a long time. In fact, the Gospel of John is written as a gospel track, and there's specific signs that John is laying out. This is sign number six, actually. Jesus is performing signs, and some of the Pharisees are saying, no, no, he is not from God. He has broken the Sabbath. Obviously, he's a sinner, but others were debating this whole thing. How could he be a sinner when he does these things? And so, there was a schism, the word is. There was a a debate raging. And so, verse 17, they said to the blind man again, well, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And very quickly, the man responds and says, he is a prophet. Where did he come up with that? Well, he had been sitting there when Jesus and the disciples passed by, and there was this debate, who sinned? This man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither, for I have been sent to do the work of God. He remembered that. Who who do you think this man was? You tell us. He opened your eyes and he said he's a prophet. He's one who's been sent from God, obviously. He heard Jesus say that. I've been sent. He's 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 a prophet. Direct contradiction to what the Pharisees were saying. He's a sinner. Well, the Jews then did not believe of him and that he had been blind, that he had received sight, and so they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. I mean, this is a scam, right? Okay, now we're on to it. This is a scam. This is some followers of Jesus putting this guy up. Why? So let's get, the, let's, let's get his parents here. And they questioned them in verse 19 Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he see? And his parents answered them and said, Look, we know that this is our son. He was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Now, why did they do that? Why did they say that? Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Messiah, to be the Christ, they'd be put out of the synagogue. And you know what that meant, being put out of the synagogue? means you just got a one-way ticket to eternal damnation. You just got cut off from the covenant, the the blessing of God, the sacrificial system. You're out. And they hung that over the people. Yep, he's our son. We can attest to that. (laughs) Yeah, he was born blind. We know that. How he sees? I don't know. Ask him yourself. He's of age. We want nothing to do with this. And that's why, for this reason, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. And so, Verse 24, a second time, they call the man who had been blind. And notice how many times this is emphasized. It's always, John is always right, they're always talking about him being blind. And they said, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Okay, here's your opportunity, blind beggar, potential charlatan. It's time for you to give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Come on, come clean. Make sure you're right with Jehovah God. We know this man is a sinner. And in verse 25, he answers and said, well, look, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But th- I'll tell you what I know, he says. Though I was blind, now I see. And they say, you know, we know this man is a sinner. He's I-, I don't know about that, but this is what I know. I was that blind beggar sitting there, and I've been blind since birth. <laughs> and I see. That's what I know. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And so this inquisition is going on. They're asking him again. And in verse 27, look, I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be one of his disciples too? I mean, I, I just love this guy. I don't know what, what, this guy is brilliant. Yeah, I, the moral, one of the morals of the story is never underestimate a blind beggar from birth. That's what these guys were doing, the Pharisees. Why do you keep asking? Do you, do you want to be one of his disciples too? Look, this guy didn't care. He had been a castaway, an outcast from day one. Somebody had sinned. He must be a sinner. He's been a begging blind guy from birth. He had nothing to lose. And they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Ooh, aren't we holy? We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's from. Now, again, this man, I mean, he's just, he's just playing him. He's playing him. Well, he says, Now, isn't this an amazing thing? You don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. And he goes on, verse 31. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God fearing and does his will, he hears him. And since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. And if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The blind man is sticking to his story. We know that it's never happened before. And we know that a sinner isn't going to be heard from God. But let me tell you something I was blind and now I see. Put it together, religious smart Alex. You you see this this attitude almost that this guy has. And they answered him in verse 34, you were born entirely in sin and you're trying to teach us. And they put him out of the synagogue. They had brought him in. He'd never been in there, to my knowledge. And they bring him in to interrogate him And then they throw him out, sealing his fate, spiritually or religiously speaking. Now, why are the Pharisees so upset with this guy? Well, they hated Jesus. But this this man was evidence, obviously, of something. And he kept emphasizing, I was blind, I see now. I was blind, but I see. Everybody knew it. See, in the Old Testament, the healing of blind eyes has a really wonderful connection with Jehovah God and his plan of the ages. We studied last year the book of Isaiah. So you got a passage like Isaiah 29. Is it not yet just a little while before Lebanon will be turned into a fertile field and the fertile field will be considered as a forest? On that day, the deaf will hear words of a book. Of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Isaiah writes of this coming day of the, the servant of the Lord, who the Messiah of Jehovah is going to come. It said in chapter 35, say to those with anxious hearts, take courage, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Messiah is going to come. And then... Blind people will see. This suffering servant of Isaiah 42, Jehovah says, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, and I have called you the servant of the Lord in righteousness. I will also hold you, the servant of the Lord, by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you, this coming Messiah, as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from prison. It's all over, the prophets. Blind eyes are going to see when the anointed one of the Lord comes. The psalmist said it this way, the Lord, Jehovah, opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. And the blind beggar, the formerly blind beggars, looking at these religious elite who know the Old Testament like the back of their hands, And he's saying, figure it out, you who think you are so righteous. I may not know much, but I know this. I was blind, and now I see. This is of God. Oh, no, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want a formerly blind beggar, tattered, ragged beggar telling them, Now this is an amazing thing. (laughs) This is an amazing thing. Do you want to be one of his disciples too? They throw him out. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out. And he finds him. And he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man, the Son of God? The blind man said, or the formerly blind man said, well, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Man, I, I just, I, I appreciate this guy so much. He even tells Jesus, Well, who is he that I can believe in him? And Jesus said to him in verse 37, You have both seen him now, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. Notice the, trends, the, 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 the the movement of this man's heart and perspective of Jesus. What happened to you? I don't know, this man named Jesus did it. Comes before the Pharisees. What do you say? He's a prophet. He's obviously sent from God. And then he encounters Jesus. And he says, I believe. And he worships him as God. Um, It's a great story. It's a story that starts off with a, a poor blind beggar who wears the label sinner. And at the end of the story, he has encountered the light of the world who has enlightened his life. He gives him sight. And he humbly now is worshiping Jesus. Jesus came to save spiritually blind beggars. That's what Jesus said in that verse in John chapter 3. He didn't come into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be delivered, might be rescued. And there was living proof, a rescued soul now worshiping Jesus. The very one that the religious leaders had labeled a worthless sinner, cast out of the synagogue, is now whole and worshiping Jesus. But but let's not miss this other encounter with Jesus and that key verse, verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, so that those who do not see may see, And that those who see or think they see will become blind. Why did Jesus come into the world? He said, I came for judgment. It's the only time John uses this word, this form of the word judgment, in his gospel account. It's a noun that simply means the verdict, a verdict to be rendered a legal decision. I came to provide a judgment. I've come, said Jesus, to force a verdict. I've come to force a legal decision. Something automatically happens when Jesus shows up. You have to make a decision about him. You have to render a verdict about who Jesus is. It, it's the result of his coming, a judgment. Not necessarily the reason for his coming, it's the result of his coming. He, he came as the light of the world, and he did the works of God, the fulfillment of all scripture. And a judgment needs to be rendered concerning who he is. And in this story, there's a positive one and a negative one. The positive one, an unworthy, sinful beggar. Who sinned, his parents or, or, or he that he's born blind? Obviously, he is deserving of judgment. And yet the light of the world opens his eyes and he, he's worshiping at the end of the story. The negative, the religious leaders who thought in their spiritual elitism, their sighted spiritual elitism, but it proved that they really, truly were spiritually blind. And so in verse 14 and 41, those of the Pharisees who were with them heard these things, and they said to him, we're, we're not blind too, are we? And it's constructed in such a way that a negative answer is required. No, no, you're not blind either. Oh, But Jesus said, And if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Oh, what hypocrites! Oh, what hypocrites that that rendered a verdict on Jesus based on their own sinful pride, their own self righteousness, in their spiritual blindness and darkness, they could not see the light of the world. But the beggar, the beggar did. I don't know much, says the beggar, but one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. And at the end of the story, he, he knew something else. He had been healed by God himself. And he's on his knees worshiping. This Christmas, and actually every day of the year, a verdict concerning Jesus needs to be rendered. Every person in this room needs to render a judgment about Jesus. We can get off on all the theological debates and different things, and, and why this, and well, why, why, why the problem of pain in the world? Those are all legitimate questions. Why such suffering in the world? Why this? Why that? But in the final analysis, the bottom line is, what are you going to do about Jesus? Everyone in this room has to render a judgment about Jesus Christ. You walk out of this room today, what's your view of Jesus Christ? A judgment has to be rendered. Thousands of people tonight are coming to to follow the star. They'll go through the tour. At the end, they'll see the baby Jesus. They'll go to the final scene, the cross, and the gospel is going to be shared. And everyone who's going to come tonight to follow the star has to render a judgment about Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's presenting the light of the world to a darkened world. What are you going to do about Jesus? If you're here this morning and you're still wrestling with this, let me just encourage you to consider Jesus, the one who came to this world And took upon himself the sin of the world. He took your sin. And that's why he died on the cross. He was dying to pay for your sins that was required by a holy God, his Father. And Jesus paid the price. And he rose again on the third day. And he offers a free gift of eternal life. And as Jesus said to the blind man, Who do you think I am? Do you believe? Who is it that I should believe in? The one you have seen and the one who has healed you, the one who stands before you, I am he. I believe. That's all that God requires of us. As we render a judgment about Jesus, he is the living God who came to this earth Who wrapped himself up in humanity. Why? So that our sin could be placed on him. And he died in our place and he rose again. Don't leave here today without rendering a judgment about Jesus. Because if you ignored him, you've just rendered a judgment about Jesus. Put your trust in Christ and Christ alone. But I'm assuming that most of us in this room today know Jesus as our personal Savior. We've already rendered a judgment. I did when I was five years old as a little boy on my farm back in Nebraska when my mom shared the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. I rendered a judgment, a verdict about who he was in that little mind of a five-year-old. You've done it, some of you, when you are an adult. Most of us in this room probably have rendered a judgment. But you know what, folks? Every morning we get up, requires a new day to render a verdict about who Jesus is. Is he your Lord? Is he the one who calls you to follow him wholeheartedly? Is he your master? Have you bowed the knee before Jesus today? Every believer in Jesus Christ must render a daily judgment, O Lord, This is who you are. You are my life. And as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, this is the judgment I will render that I may know him even better. I'll count all things as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord of whom I've suffered the loss of all things and I just count it as nothing so that I may gain him. The greatest gift as he said in 2nd Corinthians chapter 8, the indescribable gift. And every morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, we must render a judgment. Who are you going to serve today? Who's your king? Who's your master? Who's your Lord? This Christmas season. What a great time to be reminded. Jesus came so that people would render a judgment about who He is. May we follow Him wholeheartedly, the King, the Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, um, to Jesus' disciples, this This poor blind beggar was simply an object of theological debate. And to those who saw him as they passed by the neighbors there, they saw him as a nuisance maybe, a a mere beggar. And to his family, he was probably nothing more than an embarrassment. And obviously to the Pharisees, Lord, to the religious elite, he was an object of scorn, of ridicule. But Lord Jesus, to you, to you he was a man worthy of your attention, a man created to give you glory, a person in need to be loved. And he poured it out on him. And the end result, you, the light of the world, lit up his life, his darkened life. And he came and, and he worshiped you. Father, you have lit up our life, we who know you. Lord Jesus, you are our light. May we humbly continue to worship you, follow you, and point others to you. That we can simply say, once I was blind, but now I see. Oh, joy, a Savior came. And he touched me. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.